What's up, everyone, and welcome to episode four of the Most Valuable Podcast. I'm Nick. And I'm Jacob. Uh, today's episode, we're going to be going over MSU's previous uh, game uh, with a loss to Illinois. We're going to preview and give our predictions for the big game this weekend against the school down the road. And then we're going to touch uh, on how the NFL playoffs have gone so far and kind of give our thoughts on the wildness that has been the NFL playoffs so far. So, Nick, if you want to go ahead and get us started on the, the loss versus Illinois. All right. First thing I want to get out of the way is um, I guess you could say this is a mirror image of the Northwestern game where we had a chance to send the game to overtime, but um, our free throw shooters missed it on the on the first attempt. So um, for the other team's luck, we did not get into overtime. But anyone who's blaming the loss on those free throws, you're completely wrong. Um, I don't care where you're playing. Um, if a team's losing two of their best players and they're both starters and you don't have anyone out, you should win this game because, I mean, Wisconsin had Johnny Davis and granted they were missing Wall. Uh, I don't think Wall would have played much of a factor into that game considering we beat him by 12 points. And honestly, if Wall played, I still I think our team would have scored more points just based off the fact that um, there'd be more motivation to push up the scoreboard. Um, in my opinion, it all just comes down to the first half of this game. Uh, I think Max shot like 0 for 4 or 0 for 5 in the first half. Uh, Gabe hadn't hit a three-pointer yet in the first half. Um, for a team that the commentators are hyping up being six in the country, and uh, I don't know what it was, we're, they just said we're like the sixth best best three point shooting team in the country, and we come out of that game shooting three for fourteen, which is twenty one percent from three. Uh, you're just you're just not going to win that game. And in my opinion, it showed in the Northwestern game. Uh, if Gabe or I mean, Gabe, granted, Gabe Brown played really good against Northwestern, but if one of your best shooters is shooting one for eight, you're you're not winning that game. I don't care. Uh, it doesn't matter who you're playing. You're not you're not winning a game when supposedly your best shooter is one for eight from the field. Yeah, I, I agree. It's it's very frustrating to me to sit and watch this team because they're just so inconsistent. You you look at the you look at the box score here, and I would say probably our five best def or yeah one two three four yeah five our five best offensive players played like complete shit honestly gabe brown in 30 minutes shoots four for nine from the field and one for five from three pretty bad uh zero assists and one turnover also pretty bad Tyson Walker, 3 for 10, 0 for 1 from the field with three turnovers, which pretty bad. I don't really care about the turnovers so much. It's just 
a lot of wide open mid ranges that he missed and he just doesn't look confident out there. And it's frustrating to me because I personally think that Tyson Walker has the potential to be a very good player for MSU. I think he's got good vision. He's athletic. He's fast. He's, he's a good player, but it just, I, I think he's lacking confidence right now. His jumper's so good too. Yeah. He's agreed. So and then you go to Joey Hauser, three for seven. You know, just that—that's what I've come to expect from him. I, I still would like to see a little more scoring and a little bit more efficiency from Joey. Um, he had seven rebounds though, so that's pretty solid. Four you to, Then you get to Max too. Christie, and that's the one that I think I'm most disappointed about is because I thought we were finally at that point in, you know, Max's freshman season where we were going to see him turn the corner and start dropping 15, 16, 17 points consistently. And I think since the last time we dropped a podcast and talked about Max Christie, he's had two or three bad games in a row. Uh, And this was another one, uh, 31 minutes of play, which is tied with Walker for the most on the team, by the way. Shoots one for eight and zero for three from three with three turnovers and zero assists. That's just, you need way more out of that, out of your five-star freshman. If he scored two points in 31 minutes of play, why are you still on the court later on in the game? Yeah, agreed. And then even Malik Hall, who this season's shooting 50-something percent, he, he had an off night, two for seven. Um, you know, his rebounding was good and he always plays good defense, but when you got a team that shoots combined between all the players, 19 for 55 and then three for 14 on three pointers, that's just terrible. You know, you, I just, I really don't even know what to say about it other than that. It's terrible. That's just terrible offense. And I don't know what we need to do to get it like on the track towards success again it, because it seems any time and I think Izzo said something along the lines of this in his post-game press conference too he every time they he thinks that they're taking a step forward they end up taking a couple steps back and that's just really frustrating to me yep I agree but um granted Malik Hall shot two for seven I really felt like he brought the energy late in the game for when we needed the comeback because um, we started making the comeback when he was on the floor. Um, we also started making the comeback when Bingham was on the floor, but he only got 18 minutes of play, which makes no sense to me. Right, and he wasn't in foul trouble or anything. He had 13 points, six boards, and four blocks with only one foul, but could only find himself into 18 minutes of time onto the court. Uh, compare that to Julius Marble, who had 14 minutes. And nothing against Marble. I think he's a solid backup, and he's definitely uh, been improving his play as of late. But I just, I'm not a big fan of Marble getting that many minutes. I, I would like to see Bingham more up around that 22 to 25 minute per game range. And I understand he'll never play 30 plus minutes on a consistent basis he just doesn't have the conditioning for that 
But you've got to play more than 18 minutes as a senior, uh, especially in a game that you're doing very well in, uh, personally. And I get Izzo wants to play his best players at the end. But honestly, in my opinion, if you're a coach, you just put the players who are playing best in that particular game at the end. The the only five that I want to see in a late-game situation, and I don't care who's playing good that game and who's not, I don't ever want to see Joey Hauser out there at the end of a game. I want the start or the five to be out there at the end of the game needs to be Bingham, Brown, Walker, Christie, and Hall is my yep. opinion. Honestly, in my opinion, you just need Walker. Um, put, just put Malik and Bingham at the end of the game. That That's really the two people that always bring energy late in the game. I agree. And then one more thing, two more things I want to touch on real quick is kind of going back to the point guard play where it's just been inconsistent. A.J. Hogard off the bench in 16 minutes had zero for one shooting, uh, three fouls, two assists, and two turnovers, which just doesn't cut it either. And I thought he would make more of a step, and he's shown potential at times this year, but he's also another one that's just super inconsistent. And that's the the frustrating thing to me. It just makes then, no sense. Like, how do you go off – how do you get zero points, three turnovers, and two assists after having um, – 12 points, 8 assists, and 1 turnover. Like, How do you make that leap from one game to the other? Yeah, I, I really don't know. It's crazy, and that's just been the story of the team all year. Um, it's just inconsistent play. And another stat that I want to point out, anytime you have 11 turnovers in a game, which honestly really isn't that much, you should sure. still be able to win a game with 11 turnovers. But if you only have nine assists to go with the 11 turnovers that you have, that's a problem. That that should never happen on an Izzo team, especially, you know, Tom Izzo loves to spread the ball around and get multiple people a lot of shots, and that just shows that it was a lot of off-dribble shots and a lot of shots, you know, Maybe even shots that were open but just missing. But to, to only have nine assists where you have more turnovers than you do assists is just a recipe to lose games. I agree 100%. Um, so I don't have anything else to talk about um, in this game. If you want to preview the Michigan game, we can go right ahead and do that. Yeah, we can go – Right into it here. Um, as everybody knows, we play the school down the road this weekend, Saturday. And it's at home. I think our guys will have a little bit of an extra chip on their shoulder coming off of not only this loss, but I'm sure a couple of tough practices after this loss because I'm sure Izzo's upset. And then the the fact that I'm sure the guys feel like the school down the road ducked them in the last game and I think they'll come out with some extra motivation but it is a rivalry game uh Michigan in their last three is three and oh we us in our last three is one and two kind of two teams going in opposite directions right now um 
even with the even with the freshmen uh, going in opposite directions, you know, Max Christie a couple weeks ago was having some really good games. He he had a couple 18, 20 point games somewhere in there and looked like he was turning the, turning the corner. And that just obviously isn't the case, but now Caleb Houston for Michigan, they're a five-star freshman. He's starting to really come into his own. Uh, his last few games, he's really been kicking it up a notch. Their last game versus Northwestern, he had 18 points on five for seven shooting, which is very good. Um, Devontae Jones, their point guard, is starting to play better as well, and I think that's a big reason as to why they are starting to just play better as a collective team. And just all all in all in general, the way that Michigan is running their rotations and how they're spreading spreading out the love, you know, not not anybody's really carrying. Houston had 15, or 18, Jones had 15, Brooks had 12, Dickinson had eight, uh, Diabati had eight. So they're spreading it around and they've got a multitude of scorers. And they're, I don't want to say they're peaking right now, but they are improving on a game-to-game basis. If you would have asked me a week ago, I would have thought we win this by 20. But now it's a toss-up for me. I agree. Uh, Any MSU fans that are saying this is a guaranteed win, it's it's definitely not. Especially um, when Max Christie and Gabe Brown are coming off with terrible games. Obviously, Max played pretty good against Wisconsin, but Gabe went one for seven against Wisconsin with three points and four for nine with ten points against Illinois. So when your best player or your supposedly best shooters are playing like that, you're not beating anyone in the Big Ten. Um, Dickinson, honestly, the, the win I'm looking at for Michigan right now is their Recent win at Indiana where they won 80 to 62. And don't get me wrong, Indiana, like they're a really good team, but getting a win at Assembly Hall is insane for, uh, especially winning by 18. Um, Indiana just beat Purdue too. So, yeah, I agree. Indiana's definitely, you know, not a slouch. They're 14 and five. You know, they got a pretty good record. They've got, you know, a superstar at the college level at least, you know, and Trace Jackson Davis, he, he's a very good player. And anytime you go into such a historical venue like Assembly Hall, it's a tough place to play. So credit to the Michigan Wolverines for going in there and honestly kind of blowing the doors off of Indiana at home there. And Dickinson that game had 25 points and nine rebounds. Yeah, and Caleb Houston with 19 on good shooting, too. We're going to need Marcus Bingham to play. Honestly, I know we don't like giving Marcus Bingham 30-plus minutes, but in my opinion, we we might need Bingham to match Dickinson's minutes on Saturday. We need Bingham to play no less than 25 minutes on Saturday, in my opinion. If if Marble or Sissoko is on Dickinson, he may score every single time. <laughs> yeah, it could be a very rough night for for Michigan State if we 
don't match up well with Dickinson. And then another couple of matchups that I'm intrigued by, honestly, is is Caleb Houston versus Max Christie. I, I think that there's a pretty good chance that they'll be guarding one another. Uh, yeah. Well, maybe, I don't know, maybe, maybe Gabe Brown will guard Houston, but I, w- I would like to see Houston versus Christie going, going one-on-one. Um, I think I have a little bit more faith in Gabe as a defender, though, so I wouldn't be surprised if he's the one that ends up pulling that Houston assignment. And then the only other one that I'm, uh, well, there's a couple. I'm intrigued about the point guard matchup, uh, how our guards contain Eli Brooks and Devontae Jones. And then also um, Musa Diabati. I think he's been coming into his own lately. Uh, Maybe not shooting the ball-wise, but he's scoring at least. He's getting to the free throw line. He's getting rebounds. He plays with high energy. That's a guy that I think I'm not sure we match up with that well uh, at the power forward position. I think he's too quick and agile for Joey. He's 6'11". But he might be a little bit too tall for Malik. He's 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 6'11 as well. Yeah, you see that that's that's a matchup nightmare for Michigan State, honestly. Uh he's averaging uh eleven point one points per game on the road along with six point one rebounds on the road. Yeah, and this one right here it says he's got a wingspan of seven three. So I mean that's basically like another Bingham on their team. And yep. when you pair that with Dickinson, who I believe is seven foot tall then honestly that makes me a little bit nervous, uh, especially because out of all the teams in the Big Ten, I would say not too many of them have such a lack of size like us. We've got Bingham at seven foot, and outside of Bingham, I'm not sure we have another player over over six foot nine on the entire roster. Uh, So that could definitely be an issue if they decide to really pound it into the paint. I could see us getting in foul trouble and that would not be good. Yeah. I see like Michigan's also one of the most talented teams in the big 10, even though they start off really slow. This team's really talented. Um, yeah. Definitely... Anytime you return guys like Eli and Hunter, and then bring in the top recruiting class in the nation, mix that in with another transfer that was a high-level transfer in Devontae Jones, and they really are one of the more talented teams in the league. It's a bit surprising, honestly, even being a state fan, to see how they've struggled this year. But it does seem like they have kind of righted the ship as of late, and that does have me very nervous going into this weekend. Yeah, I definitely think even though they start off really, really slow, um, definitely a team that you could that you may want to watch out for in March even. Yeah, I agree. If they can go on a little run here, uh I don't know how many games are left in the season, but let's say Michigan just gets real hot and goes on a run and they only lose two or three more games this year. That that would be a scary, scary team going into March. Uh, 
probably anywhere between that like six and eight to nine seed line. Yep. Uh, um, they're definitely a scary matchup for any team. Yeah, I agree. Although I haven't paid much attention to college basketball this year, but right now, if I had to pick a national championship favorite, it would be the Auburn Tigers. They are. I'm so glad we did not play them in the battle for Atlantis. That would have been a matchup nightmare for us. Yeah, Jabari Smith Jr. would have really shit on us as a program, to be honest. He's insane. When, that's got, the kind of guys I too. wish that we had on our team. Uh, just a six ten versatile wing. He can shoot it, put it on the, put it on the deck. He can defend a bit. You know, he he's a very good player. And then you got Kessler as well, who plays center. He's really good. Yep. And their guards are really good. They're I believe just... Kessler leads the nation in blocks, or at least he was at one point during this season. So, yeah, that definitely would have been a hard matchup for us. And their guards um, are playing really good too. <laughs> Yeah, I agree. Um, that being said, though, uh, I'm going to go ahead and make my prediction for this weekend. Um, even with all of the reserves and nervousness I do have, I think that coming off of a loss and just with all the other stuff, you know, not playing them the first time around, having the game postponed, and just kind of going into the game with a chip on their shoulder from that loss. And I'm sure, like I said earlier, the hard practices that they're going to have after that loss. I got MSU winning in a close one. Uh, I think it'll be, honestly, more of a defensive battle than people think. I My final prediction is going to be 68 for MSU and 65 for Michigan. Yeah, um... I don't know. Uh, even though with all the like matchup nightmare that it could be, um, and especially coming off of a road trip and our last home game we lost, I don't see us losing two home games in a row. So with that being said, and that's like the only reason I have right now because. If yeah, honestly, not- like the home court advantage and just coming off of a couple of like tough losses, you know, one at home and one on the road. That's that's pretty much my entire thought process of why I think we'll win. I agree. The Breslin's going to be rocking because it's a rivalry. We don't really lose to Michigan much at the Breslin. So uh, I may have just jinxed us. I apologize in advance, but I got the Spartans winning 74 to 68. I like it. I like it. All right. So that moves us into our last section of the day, which is the NFL playoffs to date. Um, may I? I don't may really care I... about going to in depth on every game. There's just a couple of games that I want to talk about. Um, may may so... I go first? You want to go first? Yeah, I'll let Nick go first because I know he's upset about his Packers and may I know he needs I to get something first. off his chest. Every year, I'll admit, I say it every year too. Y'all, Packers always coming off of a hot regular season. You're always like, oh, this this is a year. It's different than last year. But in reality, it's the same bullshit every year. Get the fans hyped up, and then 
your offense just shits in the regular seat in the in the playoffs because honestly can't really blame the defense much for last year either um besides that one blown coverage play at the end of the half that's that was bad but when your defense gets you like two interceptions in a row last year uh you got us and we scored zero points off that um that's an issue and then yeah Aaron Rodgers put up zero points um in this game as well um and then it's been an issue all year for the Packers. We had like the worst special teams in the league. Um, but our coaches don't give a shit, so they don't change anything for the playoffs. Every Packers fan on Twitter was like, everyone knows, everyone knows how this is going to go if our special teams doesn't get changed for the playoffs. And here we are in the getting eliminated in the divisional round because our special teams just blew a fat one there and give up a, a touchdown off a blocked punt. And then we missed on three points because we just let a dude run right through our O-line for uh, a blocked field goal. In reality, it's Matt LaFleur and the Packers front office really wants Aaron Rodgers back. But is that even the best option right now? Because we aren't winning shit with Aaron Rodgers. Um, and we're under 40 million in cap space. So honestly, who the hell can we resign? Nobody. Um, so we're losing guys like Zadarius Smith. Devontae Adams is probably going to leave too. Um, so in my opinion, uh, we won't be competing for a Super Bowl anytime soon, even even with Aaron Rodgers on the team right now. So I feel like we should trade Aaron Rodgers to get a semi-decent quarterback and a couple first-round picks and just completely start a rebuild process and just hope for the best, I guess. Because um, in my opinion, I don't. I really want to see how Matt LaFleur does with the Packers without Aaron Rodgers. Because in my opinion, I think Matt LaFleur has been getting carried by Aaron Rodgers. Um, I, I just want to see how Matt LaFleur would do on his own. Yeah, yeah, I'd be curious to see how uh, LaFleur does on his own as well. And bouncing off of what you kind of said about you think it's time to blow it up and go full rebuild mode, and I, I agree, honestly, at this point. Like you can't, because if you're the Packers, you, you got to look, look, what have you done in the last five years, really? You know, you get, made it to get a the couple fans of expectations championship up. games and divisional games, and you shit the bed. Uh, the team always looks unprepared in the playoffs to me, and yeah. that was the biggest surprise to me. I thought for sure with an extra week of rest and everything like that with the first-round bye that they had, I thought they would come out firing. I thought they'd come out ready. I thought Aaron Rodgers would look real sharp. And that's just not how it is and not how it was at all, which was a little bit shocking to me. And from the outside looking in, you know, as a Lions fan and just as a football fan in general, like I I definitely think if you guys don't blow it up now and you wait, I just think that that's going to be even worse. 
Yep. Because you'll you'll end up with no quarterback of the future like the Lions, and then you'll have Jared Goff as your quarterback, and fuck that. Yep. It, it just pisses me off because our defense has played really good all year, and when you have to go into rebuild mode, when your defense is going into its, like, I would say it's going into its primary now because I, don't, I can't remember the last time a Packers defense was like this. Um, it just sucks. It sucks because we're going to have Jordan Love with Randall Cobb and Marquez Valdez-Scanling and Alan Lazard. And then we're going to have a good-ass defense on the other end. It's basically we're going to be looking at 2019-2018 MSU. That's what the Packers are going to be. The Packers next season, barring Aaron Rodgers leaving, you know, if he leaves, I think Devontae Adams leaves as well. well. I think I think he's gone even if Rodgers stays, to be honest. Yeah, you think he's just done there? But I would I would I, think, I think so. I don't know. What you have in the Packers without Aaron Rodgers and without Devontae Adams is essentially the Lions with a good defense. Yeah. Because I would say Jordan Love's not good, but he might be better than Jared Goff because I'm not sure you could even possibly be worse than Jared Goff. But they they got that, and then, you know, like you said, they got uh, Alan Lazard and, you know, a bunch they're of not, they're Valdez Gambling. You got, you, got you got a couple of those guys, but that's like, the same thing with the Lions. Like, who do you really got? You got you got St. Brown, and that's really about it in terms of guys that show any type of potential on at the wide receiver position. And I definitely think that if the Packers aren't careful with how they move throughout this offseason, they could really set themselves up to be the laughing stock of the of the NFC North for the next few years. And that pisses me off is because I really don't want to see a team like the Bears be at the top of our division because I fucking hate the Bears more than anything. Um, yeah, just the Bears and the Vikings are always so mediocre. It'd be kind of annoying to see either of them win the division. Okay, I wouldn't mind the Vikings as much because of Kirk Cousins. and I just I That's really the only would... reason, really. Him and Justin Jefferson, but honestly, outside of that... The... And Kenny. Kenny Wilkes is on there, too. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Good old Kenny. I wish we still had him at MSU. I agree. Uh, but yeah, um, Packers <laughs> off season is going to be very interesting to watch. And we'll definitely, we were already planning on talking about um, Aaron Rodgers and Tom Brady on a on the podcast on the next podcast. So with that being said. Let's talk about Tom Brady and the the Buccaneers here. Um, I want to I want to talk about something really quick. Even though they didn't come back and win, they still came back and made this game interesting. But but Jacob, let's take a guess. Who who got the credit for the comeback? Tom Brady or his defense? Probably his defense. Oh, really? Because I, I always hear people give Tom Brady the credit for the comeback. Yeah. Which pisses me off because without those forced fumbles and 
Uh, well, to be honest, former Spartan Brian Allen did screw up a snap there, but yeah, he anyways, snapped that thing a mile over his head. But besides that, they forced two fumbles in that fourth quarter to give the Buccaneers more possessions. And in my opinion, without the defensive play in the fourth quarter, I don't think Tom Brady would have been as close as we as he was. Although Tom Brady did have really good plays down the stretch. Um, I don't know. No, yeah, uh, you thought... can't take anything away from Tom Brady and how they came back and made that a close game and damn near stole the win. But I agree with you, and the defense really did keep them in it, especially, you know, the first fumble in that second half was what, Cam Akers on the one-yard line and he fumbled? Yeah, that was stupid. That right there is a huge turning point in the game because if they score right there, I think the Bucks are just done, and I don't think the comeback even happens. But I think that play right there started the rally for them. And then Akers fumbled again later. You know, they had the bad snap, like you said. But I think it all comes down to to that play. If If they – get the first down or a touchdown there, Cam Akers, then I think the Bucks are just toast at that point. But, you know, you can't give Tom Brady and you can't give a Tom Brady-led team, even if it's, you know, his defense doing the carrying, there's just something about having Tom Brady on your team that makes you more prone to make a comeback. I swear to God, bro. I agree. When I saw the scores 27-3, I'm like, I just got flashbacks from that Falcons Patriots game. Like this, this ain't over. Yep. But in the end, it was the Bucks defense who screwed him over. Like, why is their defensive coordinator matching up Antoine Winfield on Cooper Cup, and why the fuck is he sending a blitz? Yeah, that honestly made no sense to me. You know, in a in a late game situation where honestly, even with in his Lions days, Stafford was really fucking good in clutch situations and like the two minute drill. Yeah. I can remember so many games when he was on the Lions where we would be down fourteen points in the fourth quarter and he'd come back and tie it or come back and we'd miss a game winning field goal. Or, you know, just dumb shit like that. You know, Stafford's always been pretty good in the fourth quarter. So you already know the other coaches have got to know that. And then you have Cooper Cup, who literally led the league in targets, receptions, yards, you name it. Having one of the best seasons of a wide receiver in all history. And you're going to single cover that guy? Yeah. Like, that just, that doesn't make any sense to me. And then... Even at that, you know, how are you going to play that bad a defense when you know that you've got OBJ, Cooper Cup, and Stafford on the other side? Yeah. The, I, I'm really happy the Rams won, and I'm glad they called that play call because even though I did not like the Lions, I, I've always liked Matthew Stafford, so... Um, I don't know. Yeah, I want to say I, I want to say this is the year that the Rams... a little bit harsh when I was calling 
Stafford a playoff choker and everything in the last uh, in the last pod we did about the NFL um, because I do sometimes forget that he played for a complete and utter poverty organization in the Lions. Uh, so that's my bad, and I will no longer bet against uh, the Rams. And I will no longer bet against the 49ers. I want to say it's an easy Super Bowl trip to the – it's an easy Super Bowl trip for the Rams, but I can't guarantee that with the way the 49ers have been pulling off wins against the Cowboys and the Packers, especially when you have Debo Samuel on your team. You're definitely in the game. Yeah, I agree. Debo's a beast. And then the only other game that I really want to go over real quick is the the Titans game because that was my Super Bowl pick. And they came out and they looked just terrible. They came out flat. And that's another thing. Off of a bye week, you know, you get the first round bye as the one seed in both conferences and the one seed loses. Like, that is crazy to me. How are you not prepared after an extra week of prep? Yeah. Uh, and you get said, Derrick Henry back and all this other stuff for the for the Titans. You know, I mean, for God's sake, you got the one seed without Derrick Henry for most of the year, and then you lose in the playoffs when you when he comes back. That just doesn't make sense. No, no, I get why. I heard nobody talk about the Titans this year. Yep, facts. Just plus fucking posers. The Bengals. Uh, they gave up nine sacks, but even Joe Burrow still found a way to win that game. I really like the way Joe Burrow's playing right now. Um, I think we're all Bengals fans on Sunday because after that game against the Bills, granted it was like one of the best games in NFL history, I still feel like the Bills got robbed. I'm fucking pissed that the Bills lost that game. I like Josh Allen a lot. He's honestly one of my favorite young players in the league. And I like to I love watching him play, honestly. I was a little disappointed that they lost that one. And honestly, we could probably do a whole entire podcast about why that rule needs to be changed. So we honestly will just leave that for another time and do an entire pod or yep. section of a podcast. But I will on- say why I will they say that rule. I will say uh, hats off to Patrick Mahomes and the Kansas City Chiefs for finding a way to score the ball with 13 seconds left. And I guess give credit where credit's due. The Chiefs can't do much about the overtime rules. That's the NFL's fault. So uh, congrats to the also Chiefs. Also give all the credit in the world to the Bills defensive coordinator for forgetting how to coach football for 13 seconds. True. Because that that pissed me off, too. Like, I understand you don't want to get burnt deep by Tyree Kill or anything. You know, obviously, you're not going to play press man coverage when you're up with 13 seconds left. But why would you just give them chunks of 20, 25 yards? Like, you, you just can't do that. I understand giving, like, 5, 10 yards of cushion and trying to keep everything you know, in front of you. But when you're trying to keep everything in front of you by giving them 20 free yards, that that's just terrible defense, and that's terrible play calling. I agree. They were just guarding the sideline. Yeah, just just stupid. You, you should never let, allow a team to go, 
that far to kick a field goal with 13 seconds left in the game. But like you said, credit to Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs. Uh, you know, they were gritty, and they they came back and fought, and they won. Just and when you thought the game was them. over. I hope Just... to God that the Bengals beat them, though. Oh, me too. <laughs> if the honestly, Bengals, if the Bengals, the Bengals win... scare me because their offensive line has more holes like than just fucking anything, dude. Their their offensive line's terrible. It's it's honestly a miracle that they even made the playoffs with that dog shit O line. Anytime your franchise quarterback is getting sacked nine times in a playoff game, you have an issue on the O line. And I do believe also that Joe Burrow was if not the most, one of probably the top five most sacked quarterbacks this year. And, you know, it, it didn't really affect him too much this year. But, I mean, you've seen last year, you know, Joe Burrow got hit and tore his ACL. And you, you, you've got to – they've got to find a way to make that O-line better or else, you know, you run the potential risk that Joe Burrow just never meets his potential because he keeps getting injured because his O-line can't block for him. They need to draft O-line immediately this year. When their O-line makes a hole, they literally make it for the defense to run through and not the offense. It's ridiculous. Agreed. Um, That's why I'm saying if the Bengals somehow find a way to win this game, which they did already in week 18, they beat the Chiefs. Um, Prayers up to uh, Joe Burrow because he's either facing Aaron Donald and Von Miller or uh, Joey Bosa. Yeah, yeah. It would, if the Bengals do find a way to squeak it out and make the Super Bowl, it uh, I'll be praying for Joe Burrow as well, man, because those are some big names that I would not want to see if I was him. But they're de- the Bengals' defense is good enough to keep him in the game even though he gets sacked multiple times a game. Yeah, just, and they just—they've got enough offense, uh, offensive weapons. Jamar Chase is so good. Jamar bro. Chase, Joe Mixon, uh, Tyler Boyd, uh, Joe Burrow, obviously. You know, they, they've got a very good. Even uh, what is their tight end? C.J. Uzoma or whatever. Yeah. He he was even pretty good this year. You know, they've you got know, a good offense. They're, they're really just an offensive line away from competing you, on a year-in, year-out basis. You know what this reminds me of? Huh. Uh, uh, Joe Mixon's Kenneth Walker. Uh, uh, Joe Burrow's Peyton Thorne. And Jamar Chase is Jane Reed. And then <laughs> there's just a shit O-line. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. And then Joe Mixon. Joe Mixon has good-ass stats with for a shitty old line. He's, I don't know. Yeah, I agree. Joe Mixon is insane. And I've always kind of thought that he had a lot of potential, even going back to his time at Oklahoma. And I remember, you know, his first couple of years were a little rough, but since then especially you know once they committed to Joe Mixon being their number one back and let Gio Bernard and everybody else go is really when Joe Mixon started to thrive I mean look at his look at his stats this year 292 attempts which is third in the league 1205 yards third in the league 13 touchdowns fourth in the league you know and on top of that 
you already know nowadays you need a back that can receive. And this season he had 42 receptions for 314 yards in the regular season. And he's had another 10 receptions for 79 yards. So, I mean, that's over 400 yards receiving out of the backfield, which is very good for any team. Yep. So, I just want to leave the podcast at um, – first I'll say, yeah, Joe, I agree. Joe Mixon is a, is a very good player, and I think he's one of the best – I think he is one of the best running backs in the league. Super slept on. Definitely top 10, maybe even top five after this year. Uh, I don't know. I've always liked Joe Mixon. I've always thought he's been one of the better backs in the league. And then you had Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase on top of that offense. All they need is an O-line, and they're they're a really good team. I agree, because honestly, I think Joe Mixon, I'm not sure he got much better as a player because he's always been a really good player. I just think that now that they have Chase and a couple of other receivers that are threats, mix that in with Burrow, it just takes the eyes off of Mixon even more. I'm really curious to see what he could do with a great o-line or even a decent o-line you know maybe that 1200 yards turns into 1500 yeah and in my opinion i definitely think maybe it's not this year but i definitely think the Bengals at some point in the future could find themselves in the super bowl agreed hopefully that's it's this year and they beat the chiefs but we're definitely looking at the future of the NFL and the AFC and Josh Allen, Patrick Mahomes, and Joe Burrow. Yeah, I agree. It's insane, the talent at, at the quarterback position. Like, that the NFC, they're conference. all – the NFC is just all oldies, bro. Yeah. Like, we have Russell Wilson, who is shitting the bed right now, even though he does play for the Seahawks, so I guess that doesn't help much. Yeah, um, and, you know, he's getting old. He's in his 30s now. Uh Obviously, Aaron Rodgers is getting older. Tom Brady's getting older. Stafford's in his 30s. Stafford? Okay, right now, I think Aaron Rodgers and Tom Brady are damn near at the end of their careers, and we'll talk about that in the next podcast. So right now, I think the feature of the NFC are Kyler Murray and Matthew Stafford. Yeah, pretty much. And And that's even with Stafford already being in his – you know, 30s, granted, you know, quarterbacks can play for a long time, as we've seen with uh, Tom Brady, Brett Favre, you know, you name it. But it definitely says something about the strength of the rookies or young quarterbacks in your conference if, you know, one of the future of that conference is already kind of old. Yep. Um, Another superstar we saw come up out of nowhere. Uh, this weekend was, uh, what was it, uh, Davis for the Buffalo Bills, 201 yards and four touchdowns. Oh, my gosh, yeah, Gabe Davis went insane. I was uh, just amazed with what he, he did. He absolutely shredded that dude's ankles on that one touchdown. Yeah, he made they... him fall. I was, I was literally, I was going insane. I was in my apartment, bro, and I was like, oh, he broke him. Like, I was, like, screaming. It was crazy. But yeah, the AFC has a lot of young talent, and I think the AFC may be the Super Bowl favorites for 
a while in years to come because you got Patrick Mahomes, Matthew Stafford, Joe Burrow, and then one person I forgot to mention who I think is going to be really good and make his team really good is Justin Herbert. Yep, agreed. Herbert's really good as well, and I think they're only a piece or two off from competing. I agree. Alrighty, well, I think that's all that I've got. So I just want to say my little thing and thanks everybody for listening and stay tuned for the next one. Yep. We'll be on uh, either. We'll be uploading either Saturday or Sunday, definitely before the next games talking about Aaron Rodgers and Tom Brady and getting, maybe we'll throw in the overtime rule that we can just say that for a whole episode too. Yeah, yeah, we'll figure it out. Definitely the main topics we're talking about are Aaron Rodgers and Tom Brady. So be on the lookout for that. I know a lot of you NFL fans are anxious and anticipating the retirement of those two oldies. So we'll definitely be talking about that next. Thanks for tuning in this one and peace.